Yo, what's going down, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the music! Show us the friggin' music. What's up, everybody? I'm Austin Hayden, and I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We've got Raymond. Hello, everyone. And we've got Ryan. Oh, Raymond. Raymond. Yeah. That... Not my tempo. I need you to go higher. And let's go. Pump that one up. Let's go. let's get another one. Let's get another take on that, Raymond. Let's go again from the top. Are you rushing or are you dragging? Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm dragging today, boys. You're dragging. Uh, Raymond, you're dragging. You're dragging. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What up, everybody? If you can't tell by the uh, illusions that Ryan is dropping here, we're going to be talking about the 2014 Splash film Whiplash, directed, written by Damien Chazelle, starring Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, Paul Reiser, and is it Melissa Benoit, or ben, does she do Benoist? Is it Benoit? I am not sure. I don't know. Supergirl, Melissa Benoit, Benoist, if you know how she pronounces her name, please let me know. These names can often be tricky, because it looks like it's got a French spelling, but I don't know. Maybe it's an anglified version of it. Not anyway, Benoit, Benoist, anyway. We're going to do an hour on this, folks. <laughs> That's right. On, on names and pronunciations and the American appropriation of different cultures with names. Uh, and I'm speaking from my foyer. I'm sorry. That was a bad. That was that was instead of foyer, foyer. I don't know. Something, okay, anyway, we're going to talk about this film. So let's go around and do first impressions. Let's start with Ryan. What was it like the first time you saw this film? What's it been like on repeated viewings? Uh, go. What up? Uh, first time I saw it, I loved it. And uh, the, and every subsequent viewing, I've loved it even more. Is how I would say it. to me. Um, mm. This uh, uh, it's an editor's wet dream. I would call this movie because I'm just sitting there watching it. That's why I get something out of it every time I'm watching it. Because I, you know, obviously it's a musical uh, based film, so the editing and rhythm and and stuff of it uh, is a big part of it. And I just love. Everything he's doing with the camera, everything he's doing with editing to tell the story and to really get into the psyche of this kid who's driven to his his limits and, you know, him questioning why he's doing it. And then, yeah, it's got everything. It's got music. It's got the cool editing. It's got, uh, yeah, the conflict between hard work and determination and passion and 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 how those things intersect i love this movie and uh and it was a good debut from damien chazelle i don't think he's topped it since then i I mean all of his subsequent movies he also made one movie before this okay yeah well um i guess this is his first big one but uh but yeah yeah, this was kind this was effectively his debut I, I, I like La La Land uh, more than most people. I'm an apologist for La La Land. I'll just say it up at the front. But uh, but it's not a whiplash. And then also, I didn't like First Man as much. And then whatever his 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 TV series wasn't as good either. Anyway, that's me on his filmography. What do y'all think, Raymond? Um, I think this is a, I think this is a great film. Um, I uh, saw this in theaters. Enjoyed it immensely. Um. I uh, I actually quite like First Man, and was it crazy about La La Land? So Ryan and I will have to um, fight, fight to, the to the death or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, glad that we both went to the same place <laughs> in that one. And uh, I will second uh, his opinion there that uh, Tom Cross, the film's editor, does a, a wonderful job. It's a very propulsive film. Uh, I think he won the uh, the Oscar for editing that year. I believe and, so. Yeah, this this movie, like you said, Ryan, we actually discussed this one on on the Patreon episode about debut films. Uh, even though Damien Chazelle had done a movie before this called uh, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, this really does feel like his arrival and the, the arrival of a 
uh, a great filmmaker. Um, there, there are some critiques from uh, jazz musicians um, that oh, no, really. uh, I. I th- I think are kind of interesting to get into. Um, I, I used to play uh, music myself. I was a drummer, um, and I, I played in a jazz band for a while. Obviously not on this level, and I, uh, I am not smart enough or have the aptitude enough to tell you, uh, oh, yes or no, these things are accurate or inaccurate. But I have read a lot of thoughtful critiques from that perspective, and um, while I think that stuff is interesting, this movie still really works for me because... I don't 100% know that this movie is about the music. This movie at times feels more like mm-hmm. a horror film. Or there was one um, one YouTube video that I uh, I, I just watched from a, a jazz musician who who likened it more to a sports film, and he said it's very enjoyable, even though it doesn't mm-hmm. accurately uh, capture uh, certain aspects of jazz. But um, I, I think that's a, a pretty uh, a pretty fair criticism from folks who who know this world they that often say like oh yeah well it's it's dishonest about this or that or it gets this or that wrong but at the end of the day it's it's all in service of the narrative and this is a it's a really compelling narrative i think it's it's great performances all around and um i always enjoy revisiting it uh, and damien chazelle's from that world too though right this is kind of a sort of autobiographical film sort in a way. of but one one critique that i read that was really interesting was that a lot of this stuff that he's drawing from because he was, um, uh, yes, someone, John H. uh, just said in the chat that uh, I watched the Adam Neely video and I believe he was actually the one who shared it on the Wisecrack Discord. So thank you so much, John H. Um, But uh, one of the things that he says in that video is that it seems like a lot of the stuff that Damien Chazelle is drawing from is specifically from his experience playing in a jazz band from 10 or 12 or 15 years before this movie was made because there's a lot of stuff in it that was accurate to that time that just doesn't feel accurate anymore. So to oh, your I'm point, sorry. Ryan, modern jazz, the 2020 well, jazz, it's not, uh, it, this is 2014 <laughs> jazz. It does bear mentioning because it's instructive as to how he's approaching the material. And I'm not attacking the film by any <laughs> I means. Know, like I kidding. said, I, I think it's, I think it's a great movie and I'm not, once again, I'm, I'm not uh, an apt enough jazz musician or student to be able to point out those anachronisms, uh, but it, it, it is kind of an interesting uh, lens through which to view the film. Okay, so I just need to quickly respond to that because this is like one of my pet peeves when people watch movies. Movies are not representations of reality. They are visual cinematic expressions of a filmmaker or artist or writer that is trying to do something. So yes, they're going to use hyperbole and I, they're going to use things that are over the top and they're going to use different tricks because it's a different artistic language. Yes. I'm going to beat this fucking drum until I fucking die because no I get No it. one is arguing against you on that. That is the point no, I was I trying know. to well, make. I, I would argue with you. I'm arguing into the void at the people who okay. are like... This is an inaccurate representation. I, I can course, already this this episode's a, gonna get interesting. <laughs> it's a fucking hyperbolic examination of greatness and artistic uh, discipline and like a teacher-student relations and drive and and all of these different things. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say because I gotta get my first impressions real quick and then let's start fucking delving into this. But I just that's like my biggest pet peeve in the world. I feel like. Like, you know how they've got those memes that's like little brain and then galaxy brain? Like, this sure. is like, this is, 
This is like little brain thinking. But like, I, come on, everybody. I, I like, let's say, chill a little by bit. By the way, for, for for the listeners at home, SMTM is the galaxy brain part of that. <laughs> That's right. Little little, little brain is uh, what? Owls at dawn. <laughs> no, no, no. There's some, there's some filmmakers, though, that present themselves as like a more realistic or naturalistic or like portraying the real thing. You know what I mean? It's So I, I feel like it depends on the movie. Like, obviously, sure. 90% of movies, you can totally feel like all right they can take liberties because it's a movie and whatever they're telling a story and whatever but but if if and i'm not saying damon chazelle even did this but if if you're like all right this is the drummer you know this is what it's like the life of a drummer movie you know and a day in the life and then you get details wrong that you know drummers don't like i mean i think that there's something to that i don't think that that's necessarily super small brain thinking Right. I think I get, I get so what you're I, saying, I right? But I, I also think the the argument that I would return to with this film, though, is that while he's inspired by jazz and that whole milieu, I don't think he's trying to make a music movie in the strictest sense of the I word. I, you, you know, right there. I, yeah. I think this is much more. Uh, my roommate likened it to Moby Dick, where this is J.K. Simmons is Captain Ahab in this, and he doesn't. The way that he described it, he was like, he doesn't really know what he's going to do when he catches the whale. He just he's just obsessed with catching the whale. Okay, so I'll do my first impressions. First time I saw this, I fucking loved it. Uh, I thought it was amazing. I haven't seen it since, so this is the second time I've seen it, and I think it was better on the second viewing. I Hell was paying yeah. much more attention because I because I knew the story. Um, I was paying a lot of attention to the craft. I think it's shot beautifully. It's edited magnificently. I love how there are these in crazy intense scenes that like you're just sitting there like, oh my fucking God, like the first scene when fucking Simmons throws the chair at his head and shit like that when, when they're in the – like that scene yeah. is just crazy. The tension and then all of a sudden you just get like a little bit of a break and then it kind of comes back. It's constructed very musically, which I guess makes a lot of sense. But I think the way that the coverage is shot with like the extreme close-ups on the instruments and the musicians' mouths, I think it creates this really lovely kind of like bringing you into the world and pulling you out and creating a very sort of affective and emotional resonant experience I think this is a very musical film I love thinking in terms of in performance um, uh, and in cinematic language in, in like terms of like musicality or symphony and stuff like that and I think this film does that really well with uh, the way that it, it uses coverage and then also the narrative I think is fucking fantastic I love the the the, the, the final scene it's like it's like one of the most intense final standoff, final battles that you can have, but it's taking place where you have a drummer and a conductor rather than like fate of the world is at stake, but it feels like the fate of their worlds are at stake. And I think there's something so lovely about how they do that at a subjective level. Um, so I think that this movie is actually a fucking masterpiece. I don't think that La La Land holds a candle to this. I think that the way that this film... Huh. Um, presents the kind of horror of I love what Raymond said this is like kind of like a horror film the horror of the bloodiness and and the violence it is like a sports film or a war film almost um and I think that's that's fantastic um I think that that this is like an absolute masterpiece of of filmmaking I love it I love the story I love what it's presenting I love the questions that it raises so I can't wait to kind of start peeling this apart um but let's do a quick recap before we kind of get into all of this. I want to do a little bit of housekeeping too. If you're out there listening, remember we're live right now on YouTube. So make sure you comment in the chat. Uh, we already 
dipped into the chat, so we're going to continue gonna to do, do that throughout the episode. You're going to do housekeeping on this podcast? You're going to clean those cabinets behind you? I'm going to clean, now as you can see, I've got my, Ash, Ashken I've got A in the creatine. chat will be very happy. They say, I'm mesmerized by Austin's white cabinets, so I'm sure they'll, they'll <laughs> love watching yeah, you I'm looking at them. <laughs> I've got my flowers up here for banana pancakes. Um, okay, so uh, blender over here for power smoothies. Um, so we're in the chat. Uh, feel free to comment in the chats because we are live and we're going to dip into that. Um, we love doing that. Also, make sure to give us a follow over on our Twitter. It's smtm underscore pod, smtm underscore pod. We've got some really cool articles and things like that that are related to this film, and we're going to be sharing those things and tweeting those things out. Also, make sure you check out the other Wisecrack podcasts, Culture Binge and Squanch, etc., etc. And make sure you give us a follow and uh, support us on Patreon if you are able and if you want to get access to the bonus content that we've been producing over there. I think we've got a new bonus episode that is going to be for the month of December, so we're just kind of letting our brains figure out exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to be releasing that very soon as well. But we've got a back catalog, so make sure to go to patreon.com slash wisecrack for that. All right, so here is a um, an in-depth plot summary of Whiplash. Andrew Neiman is a first-year student at the prestigious Schaefer Conservatory in New York City, hoping to one day fulfill his childhood dreams of uh, following in the footsteps of Buddy Rich and others. Andrew is recruited by Terrence Fletcher, who is like the main man band leader at Schaefer Conservatory to play in the studio band. Um, however, he quickly discovers that Fletcher is relentlessly, relentlessly strict, ruthless, and abusive to his students. And during practice, Fletcher physically and verbally attacks Andrew after he fails to keep pace during the rehearsal of the piece Whiplash. Now determined to impress Fletcher, Andrew practices every day until his hands are bleeding. In a jazz competition after their first set, Andrew misplaces Tanner, who's the core drummer at that time, sheet music. And when called for their second set, Tanner can't play without the sheets. So Andrew claims that he can perform, he steps in, and he then gets promoted to being the core drummer. Uh, at this time, Andrew breaks up with his girlfriend that he just recently started dating so that he can have more time to practice. But after a grueling five-hour session with Tanner and Connolly for the core spot, Andrew uh, gets demoted and then he finally earns it back. Now, on the way to the next competition, the bus that Andrew is riding breaks down and he rents a car, but he arrives late and he realizes that he left his sticks at the rental office. So after he convinces an impatient Fletcher to wait for him, Andrew races back and retrieves them, but his car is hit by a truck on the way back. He crawls from the wreckage and runs back to the theater, arriving just as the ensemble enters the stage. Bloody and injured, Andrew struggles to play Caravan, and Fletcher halts the performance to dismiss Andrew. But enraged, he attacks Fletcher, uh, it starts beating him up, and he's pulled off of him. You're of dragging, course. Austin. You're dragging. Let's go. Tempo. At his father's request, Andrew meets a lawyer representing the parents of Sean Casey, a former student of Fletcher who hanged himself out of depression and anxiety spurred on by Fletcher's abuse. And Sean's parents want to see Fletcher forbidden from teaching. Andrew agrees to testify as an anonymous witness, and Fletcher is fired. Now, finally, uh, following his expulsion, Andrew has abandoned drumming altogether and is working in a restaurant while Fletcher performs as a pianist at a jazz club. Andrew talks with Fletcher, who defends his teaching methods by stating that he only wants his students to push themselves so they can become the absolute best, so they can be great, da 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 And then he invites Andrew to actually join his new band that he's doing for a jazz festival. So Andrew arrives at this jazz festival and the band goes on stage, but just before they begin their first piece, Fletcher reveals that he knows that Andrew is the one who testified against him and got him fired, and as revenge, he leads the band with a song that Andrew does not know and for which he has not been given the sheet music. Andrew walks off the stage humiliated, gives his papa a hug, but then in his 
final vibe, a bit of determination, he runs back on stage and he takes over and he starts playing Caravan all on his own, cueing himself and the band following him. Fletcher's initially pissed off and angered, but he eventually starts to resume conducting. And after Fletcher cues the last beat of the piece, Andrew continues playing on his own, performing an extended solo, and Fletcher nods in approval because he's like, yeah, okay, you're a killer. That's kind of badass. Yeah, pick End up. of friggin' movie. Okay, all right. We can uh, work on that next week. But before we continue, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Storyblocks. Storyblocks is the complete stock solution, providing an unlimited library of over a million plus royalty-free, high-quality video, audio, and images through cost-effective subscription plans. You all know the deal. You can create more videos by bringing your stories to life without sacrificing vision due to time, budget, or resources. Every creator honestly should have a Storyblocks membership. I personally use it for my YouTube videos. Wisecrack, we use it on the main channel for all of our stuff. We can get soundtracks, we can get effects, we can get background b-roll footage, uh, you can get photos, whatever you need, Storyblocks has it. So make sure if you want to take advantage of all the goodies that Storyblocks has to offer, that you go to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack. That's storyblocks.com slash wisecrack and you can learn all about what they've got to offer. Storyblocks.com slash wisecrack or click the link down in the show notes. All right, back to the show. Alrighty, so let's start peeling this apart. Let's ask this simple question. What does it take to be great? And what does this film tell us about what it takes to be great? Ryan, what do you think? Do, do you need to have an abusive master teacher to discipline you into greatness? Or is the muse descend upon you and then you have conduits that kind of like press us and guide us? What... What do you think this film says about it? What do you think it takes to be great? And what does greatness mean? And should we pursue greatness? All those big questions. I don't know if it answers a lot of those questions. It, it I think it tells us particular, you know, two people with two temperaments and ideologies, really. Uh, and obviously, yeah, I do think it takes a, a ton of hard work and practice and busting your ass and 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 whatever uh to you know be great at something as somebody who i mean i i straight up think i've had uh, abusive football coaches when i was in like high school and stuff <laughs> like hardcore that that and i and i and at the time i'm like how is this helping me this just fuck yeah. this you know and fuck you and <laughs> i still feel that way to a degree because i you know because i think that there's a fine line and I think that that Fletcher definitely crosses it. Like he he does things that are absolutely unacceptable, right? And but it's all in the service, supposedly, of you know helping these kids out and stuff. So yeah, I think that I think it's actually a very contemporary issue. And you know, like like how hard do you push kids today? You know, yeah, there's this whole like, oh, we just have. Uh, participation trophy culture and whatever we're not you know uh, uh making kids we're not pushing kids and they're just turning out like idiots and then there's other people that are like just chill out what are you doing why, why do we have to torture people to make them you know good at stuff like they can enjoy things yeah. uh uh i get both sides of that you know it depends on what your ambition is yeah. and some not everyone wants to be the michael jordan of jazz drummers you know right but for those who do, I think that there's something to be said for, yeah, putting yourself through hell to get there, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, hmm. you bring up Michael Jordan. The fascinating thing for me with art is that the Michael Jordan of acting or 
the Michael Jordan of drumming or the Michael Jordan of, you know, literature or writing or whatever might be out there and no one knows about them. Like, yeah, it's Confederacy. Yeah, right. Like Confederacy of Dunces wasn't published until John Kennedy Toole had killed himself. Like the fascinating thing for me when you talk about what 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 does it take to achieve greatness in an artistic field is like i don't know that's a different question than this movie is asking i think that this movie is asking the question of like what does it take to achieve recognition within the jazz world or more specifically perhaps what it takes to achieve recognition with terrence fletcher <laughs> um <laughs> because i don't think the end of this movie oh, but to, to close the loop on what i was saying before the michael jordan thing is apt because if anyone out in the world was as good at basketball as michael jordan is or was they would not remain a secret like there's there's some degree of meritocracy in sports because that like your accomplishments in sports are quantifiable in a way that uh aptitude is not a, exactly quantifiable it's it's much more subjective in art but i think the the movie this question or excuse me the question this movie doesn't really ask but always leaves me with is like does he actually achieve anything by the end of it other than fighting back to a guy that has made his life hell? <laughs> like, it reminds me of... Have you ever seen the movie Monty Walsh um, with uh, with Jack Palance? And uh, I think it's Lee Marvin plays the uh, the main character. It's a, it, it, it's a really interesting Western. It's a little bit old-fashioned at points, but there's... Um, uh, the the main character, the titular Monty Walsh, who is uh, uh, in fact played by Lee Marvin, um, he's an old Bronco buster, and he's just past his prime, and he can't really find work anymore, and he gets bounced around from from ranch to ranch, and there's this scene throughout the movie. They've talked about this one Bronco that no one can break, and at near the end of the movie he comes out of a saloon and he's pissed drunk and he sees this horse running around in its stable and it's going crazy and he just fucking climbs in and jumps on its back and it's one of my favorite scenes in film history because in the process of breaking the horse he destroys the entire fucking town like mm. it, he runs the horse through all, all all these buildings and knocks over lean-tos they knock over the fucking water tower and the the water floods the whole street just everything turns into mud the building starts sinking into it but by the end of it the horse obeys him and it's just like <laughs> it's just a beautiful moment and it's and it's where the movie should end but the movie kind of goes past that and i think of that scene when i watch whiplash because i'm just like yeah, you fucking earned this guy's respect. But nobody at this thing, the way that the movie constructs that moment is like everyone's going to watch Andrew's big drum solo at the end and then he's going to become a, a big famous drum. No, he's not. <laughs> like, no, well, he is not. I, I, I would um, push or disagree with you there because to, 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 uh, somebody here in the chat, Rex, just said this movie's a lesson in narcissism, not art. 
And really, like, like the main lesson at the end of the movie to, uh, that I think Andrew gets is, you know, it, it's less about him accomplishing something, you know, as a drummer and more about him just breaking through that psychological barrier, that stronghold that Fletcher has him under being like, look, I don't need this guy's approval to live my life, you know, and to be great. And look, fuck. Look what I can do, basically. Like he's the 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 student has overtaken the master, basically. He, but he does he in a way, like no matter what he does, if he walks off the stage in defeat, Fletcher wins. If he comes back to the stage and lives up to Fletcher's expectations, Fletcher wins. It's like yeah, how every like every time Emperor it. Palpatine shows up in a Star Wars movie, no matter what happens, he's like, "Yes, this was my plan. I knew you'd try to kill me." <laughs> like, this is why I think I think that there's a key. There's a key moment in this film that I didn't really pay attention to previously, but they're all sitting. It's when Andrew's with his family and they're all sitting around the table and he's like, oh, I just got made core drummer, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of like brush over it. Like they don't really get it, right? Like his family aren't artists. They aren't musicians. They don't really get what this means, one, to Andrew, but maybe even what this means in the world, the legacy of music, right? And what his brother, I think, asks this question. He's like, he's like, wait, you have music competitions, but like, isn't it just subjective? And Miles Teller just like stares at him he just goes no and i think that this and i laughed i laughed yeah. like really hard my partner even like she was like what and i was like oh my god that is so funny it's he's great just like read. no and yeah it's a great it's amazing and i think <laughs> this is the difference here these musicians andrew and fletcher they see art as having a definitive um set of uh, structures, requirements, standards, right? And Fletcher is the god who controls objectively what is good, what is bad. Like, I, my ear can't tell the difference when Miles Teller is pushing or dragging, you know? But um, this fucking, I wouldn't say narcissist, I would say this megalomaniac, this tyrant, he's the one who believes he has control over the world of jazz music in all of its facets, right? Like that brutal thing that he does when he is like someone's out of tune and he fucking tortures that one kid and he's like, actually, it wasn't him that was out of tune. It was you that was out of tune, but he couldn't tell the difference. Which so is just bad as bad, enough, yeah. Right? Yeah, which is like just this really shitty display of power and um, it's really unreasonable, right? And so this is for me what the film is really about. It's about power and domination, and when you can claim to be the one who has access to the quote-unquote truth, the standards of objectively good music, which is Fletcher here, then everybody looks at him and has to worship him and has to be subsumed under him because there is no way out. And this goes to Raymond's point. If, if Andrew quote-unquote uh, defeats the god by standing up to him and going out on stage, he's only doing that in service of the standards that that god has already erected, right? So then he kind of still loses because he's still he's still trapped under like the hegemony of that figure, the Fletcher figure. And if he walks off the stage and he quits and he leaves, he still loses because then he's not able to play by the rules of the game. The problem is, is there is no escape at I think that's what this film really does. So it's really claustrophobic to me, which is why I really appreciate all the close-ups because I just feel compressed, right? Everything is compressed under the world that Fletcher controls because he is a godlike figure. And to me, I think that's really the sort of, let's say the, the broad strokes of what this film presents us. And I just want to uh, comment there. Someone in the chat said, Theezy said, I feel like Raymond is taking the film entirely too literally. I, I did not... 
bring all that up to, to say, I, I actually don't think I have a literal reading of this film. I said at the beginning, I, it's not even about music. The, the reason that I was on that tirade was that Austin asked, is this, what do we think about the cost of greatness? And I, my counter to that, in short, is that I don't think this movie is even really about greatness in that sense. I think it's, I think it's about madness more than anything. I think it's about someone who is who is pulled into another person's orbit and and lives their life by, like you said, by their tempo, so to speak. Yeah, could we say that it's about a certain certain type of greatness, a greatness that is erected under certain conditions? So it's the greatness that Fletcher, that the conservatory music factory fucking complex that they have erected to kind of churn out little, um, little representations of their own um, stranglehold over what it means to make great art. Like, could we say that it's that? So then greatness is always then kind of hamstrung, if you will, kind of by that really rigid standard. So so greatness is always really fixed and limited. So maybe that's what it is. And then, because of that, there is a madness because it's really perverse in a way to to live in this under this tyrannical rule. Well, the, the flip side of that, though, it's like... It, that's like saying, like, oh man, like uh, 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 Magic Johnson is so good at basketball, but it's like he has to live under the rules of basketball, and you know, like uh, if only he could expand it or something, like or not. I don't know. I, I feel like if you want to get good at a certain thing, okay. To, to me, no, no. Let's do this. Yeah, this keep... is great. This is great because Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. Okay. Magic Johnson was Showtime Lakers flashy no look passes yeah. uh they were fun blah 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 there's also a racial line here right the lakers were the urban team even though they did have kurt rambis but they were like the urban team and then you had the celtics who were like blue collar you know the white boys even though of course they had people of color on their team as well but it was larry bird versus magic and larry bird was what fundamentals right and so what you get then magic johnson is great but he kind of is great in the sense that he breaks out of the fundamentals, whereas a lot of the old basketball heads, they're like, no, nah, Larry Bird, he was like the fundamentals, which actually isn't true because Larry Bird was flashy as fuck. But mm -hmm. the point is, is that a lot of people, let's yeah, say I was, like I was going to point out, this it seems like a flawed premise yeah. in your argument. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's bullshit. But let's, let's just say that like the old heads, they erected this standard that's like, if you're going to be a great basketball player, um, you learn the fundamentals. Now, I come from a basketball family, you know, like... Dad played in college, uncle played in college, uncle played a little pro ball, stuff like that. Not here, but overseas. Um, so like, like, uh, like, like I come from like a fucking, the fundamentals were pounded into my head because my family was a little bit of the old school mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like don't do the flashy stuff. And so for me, that's kind of what you have here is you've got the fundamentals because there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And if you have control over what the right way is, then you can dictate that this is how you do things. But then you get the Mavericks and the Mavericks are the one who come along and they do the no-look passes and they do like Allen Iverson did and wore big baggy pants and the fucking big crossover that looks like he's almost fucking, you know, almost looks like double dribble and, you know, there's all kinds of or carry or carryovers and all kinds of things, right? So it's like you get these Mavericks who then go outside the bounds and then that changes the standards. But I think this film... It, it is absolutely about that, okay, there's a really strict set of standards about what it is to be good.
right? And then the Magic Johnsons of the worlds are like the flashy ones who like break the rules. I guess just just picking at your analogy though, it's like like to me the the, the people who are you're saying are setting the setting the standards, setting the rules. It's like. Like no, yeah. usually that stuff it's also it's like a best of practices thing. It's like things that have been, uh, carried, you know, uh, picked up throughout through over time, and it's like all right, this is the correct way or the best way that we figure out how yeah. to do this. And so this is me teaching you what we've learned. It's like you know the yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah I know what you mean. Like, this is the way, and I just came up with it. You know. Yeah, and it's like and it's like in basketball, for example, the best way is the way that gets you the most points. Versus right. the other team who has fewer points, and that's how you make. There's a bit more of a quote unquote uh, seemingly objective standard, right? But but the question is, is how do you get to the goal? So if the goal is to make uh, a great basketball player or a great basketball team, you know there are different rules. If the goal is to make great jazz music, again the question is, what are those standards? And even though you can say that, yeah, we had these experimentalists, you could look at someone like Buddy Rich and probably say that, oh, Buddy Rich was an experimentalist. He did things that were creative and really like, uh, and Charlie Parker and these people. The reason that they're well known is because they they laid new groundwork, so to speak, for what the standards might be. And then this is where the dogmatism comes in, is when you hold on to that so tightly, so rigidly, that you just want to reproduce those same standards over and over and over again. It, and you yeah. don't allow for the novelty. You don't allow for any wiggle room outside of that standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's something interesting you brought up there, uh, Austin, talking about, you know, the the flash versus the fundamentals and stuff like that. And I think there is something pretty telling in, um, I can't remember if it was a DVD extra or an interview that I watched with Damien Chazelle, where he talked about, he said when he hired Myers Tell- Miles Teller for the film that Miles Teller had some experience drumming and he said something, I'd have to look it up or track it down to, to, to get it verbatim, but I remember him saying something to the effect of like, Miles Teller is a, a good enough drummer to like, know how to make himself look better as a drummer in a way that okay. he's not he's not a great drummer but uh he he knows how to do like a lot of crossovers a lot of fancy stick work and stuff that for the layman who goes and watches this movie and just sees all that and is wowed by it and doesn't understand that you know that expression of the art versus a more technically grounded or you know, sophisticated or whatever word you might want to use, a more fundamental understanding of the art form, um, that he he brought that up almost as a positive in a way. And it seemed it seemed very telling that he was kind of like, it, it, it was almost a tacit acknowledgement that this movie's like, we're not really doing the thing that we claim to be doing. <laughs> like, this is, this is all, movie, a whole, like... It's it's a show, you know. It's it, we we talked about this yeah. in, it, during our first impressions. But if you, there's that that Werner Herzog story where he um he's made a few documentaries and some of his documentaries are a little bit loose with the timelines. And there's this story of somebody at a Q and A with him asking a question about like, oh, in your documentary about such and such, you said this happened, but it actually didn't happen on that timeline. And then <laughs> Werner Herzog just said, "Congratulations, you've passed your accounting exam." but this is cinema and I am not an accountant and just stuff where it's just like he talks about in his, in, in his books, he always writes about like the notion of ecstatic truth and how you, you know, the, basically the thing you touched on in your first impressions, Austin, which is that like that movies are, are life condensed. They are, they are life with all the boring parts cut out of them. Uh, unless you're making something very experimental. Unless you're making Satan tango. Yeah, um, right. Yes. 
Yes, and and I think for me, I think one of the really interesting things that we can say is it's not just movies, right? Like if I if I recap a story, my energy, my experience in that story, how invested I am, how I'm trying to communicate it, who my audience are is going to change how I'm telling that story. And I might see the same event as Raymond and as Ryan, but our three different stories of this are going to be different because I focus on different elements, different nuances, even just the intonation of how I tell it, which is all part of like an intensity, right? And that's, I think, something that you get with a cinematic expression of um, a, a jazz drummer who is, you know, trying to become great like you do in Whiplash, where what you get is you get a guy, Damien Chazelle, who is really, I think, exploring the sort of intensity, the emotional intensity of trying to make music while living under the fucking domineering thumb of a megalomaniac. And I think for me, it creates this really sort of like compressed and really like effective and affective um, experience of of trying to make something, um, make something of yourself, trying to make something in a world that like exerts pressure on you and then trying to kind of find your own way in this, right? Like Miles Teller's just a fucking lost 19 year old kid, you know, um, dad left the family or mom left the family, mom left the dad, you know, single dad who seems really loving and caring, but you know, doesn't maybe really understand Miles's passion. Cause, um, you know, Paul Reiser's character, he's a high school teacher. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's fucking amazing. And he's a writer, but you know, even the way that Teller, um, talks about his dad when Simmons first asks him, when Fletcher first asks, he says, what does your dad do? The first thing he says, he's a writer. He doesn't say that he's a teacher. So, and then he feels guilty, kind of feel bad about his dad being a high school teacher. Like, oh, well, he's a writer. Well, okay. It's not like he writes for like the New York times and it's not like he's a novelist. He's, he teaches writing and he probably writes on the side a little bit. And there's like a, like he's disappointed in that because again, there's a standard of, of recognition, of appreciation for your art, of, of being kind of like publicly upheld as one of the greats that, that Teller is trying to live up to. And for me, I think that, 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 that there's like a really kind of lovely way that this film really explores all of those tensions. And, and I think in a way you could even say that Miles Teller's pursuit is in some way, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like contaminated by this like really toxic environment that like even his pursuit of quote unquote greatness is, is a little bit contaminated by the kind of pressure that is, that is put on him. Does, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also think there's, there, there's a question with this film that is, is it contaminated by the pressure that Terrence Fletcher puts on him or is, is he, this comes back to the question of like, is the film about greatness or is the film about like mutually assured destruction between these two inherently toxic people who just kind of like work their way into each other's orbit and, uh, and they essentially enable each other to death. Um, you know, there, there are some folks who have sounded off in the comments. Uh, uh, Rex Sauls mentioned the narcissist element is what it takes to become the greatest. According to this movie, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, most geniuses are narcissists. Zach Olofsson said, it, is it about the pursuit of greatness and the madness required for greatness? Uh, and then he attributes that to literally everything that Michael Jordan brought up in the last dance. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, I, I, Michael I, Jordan's I, a freaking sociopath. Okay. Yeah, there there is there is this raw intensity in the best way, in the best way possible. Yeah. yeah, when when you watch, I know when I watched The Last Dance, like having grown up, you know that was the NBA that I grew up with was was uh, Michael Jordan's NBA, and seeing seeing someone who is like that perfectly designed for for their thing like i remember reading an article about how michael phelps was a perfectly designed swimmer that like the proportions of his legs to his torso to his arms and everything like there are and some folks feet. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. Are, who are naturally gifted at it but even those folks have like that they they may have a natural predilection for it but they still have to devote a, an insane amount of time, effort, passion, life, almost, you know, quite often this film would argue to the exclusion of healthy or well-adjusted relationships. I don't necessarily know that that is true. I know that there are a lot of like really successful people uh, in the NBA or otherwise who have great family lives and great relationships with their, their uh, you know, their wives and kids and what have you. Um, so I, I do think maybe you don't have to be so single-minded and so dogged in your pursuit of greatness but i know that i think there i think there are probably a lot of folks that succeed specifically because they are single-minded and because they are determined where folks who may be of commensurate talent don't ever make it that far because they're willing to fail. You know, that's the thing that Fletcher brings up in this is like, well, the next Charlie Parker would never actually be discouraged. Um, I don't I don't necessarily know that it's true, but there's no way of knowing if it's true. Like how like I said before, if you can play basketball like Michael Jordan, someone will find out about it and try to get you into the NBA. But if you can hmm. play, you know, uh, uh, drums like Buddy Rich or whatever, it, like that might just be your little secret. <laughs> you might just do it. You might just do it in your garage band on the weekends, and no one's the wiser. Like I don't know. No way, man. You'd have a YouTube channel, and you'd do like those sick covers where you're like, I'm gonna do uh, Avril Lavigne mixed with fucking Travis Barker or some shit like that, and you have a really popular YouTube channel. I think that's how it works. <laughs> or you'd make sick TikToks this day and age. Rye, you want to chime in on this discussion about greatness, madness, what this film is saying? I mean, we've kind of been talking about it a bit, but is there anything else you want to jump in there and contribute? Um, I uh, uh, I think that there's something to be said just uh, for not having balance. And I think that this movie kind of uh, <laughs> goes into that. You know, I think that there's something to be said for, for embracing extremities. Right. And being like, look, yeah, like mm. you kind of said, I am going to have a single minded focus to this one thing in my life because that is what I want. And and, you know, you can make a value judgment on that, like whether that's a, a psychologically healthy thing to do. But I don't think that this movie necessarily says that it's not. I mean, like, you know, some people want to be the best fucking jazz drummer. They want to be the Michael Jordan of jazz drumming. And I don't think that that's, you know, necessarily a bad thing. And sometimes it takes devoting your life to it you know um there yes, there's a, an interesting uh, review of this written by peter erskine who's a, a jazz drummer and he's actually name dropped on the adam neely video about it where he he mentions that one of the things the movie misses the point on regardless of what it's trying to do because i i agree with you guys i think what the movie is trying to do it essentially accomplishes i think it's a very good movie but to Ryan, Ryan, to your point, 
that, you know, it, it may take maniacal focus and determination to achieve greatness, but that if that's what you want to do, then that's your prerogative and, and go after it. I, I would mostly agree with you, um, but I will, I will point out this, this review that Peter Erskine wrote, that one of the things that stuck out to me and, and is mentioned on that video is that he talks about how he just wishes this movie gave a better sense of like what it's like to love music. And you don't, mm. you don't have a sense of that with these characters that like his determination to be a great drummer is an objective and it seems to be drawn from a genuine passion for for this art form but we only ever see the negative effects of the art form on his life i i i kind of like that about the movie in a way i think that's what the movie's trying to do but if if you're watching this as someone who wants to get people excited about jazz they're going to end up you know calling a priest or whatever right yeah because because i I didn't watch la la land right i I know this movie's about a very specific character study on a specific kind of person who you know when you grow up like i don't know about you guys but like you grow up and you you know your parents make you do some shit that you you have no idea why you're doing it you're just like well i've I've been doing it all of a sudden you're older you're still doing it you know uh some activity or whatever and you're like and and you never have got thought like wait why am i doing this you're just working hard at it because that's what you've always done and that's what you've been told to do and i think that 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 this is kind of you know he's a little older, but but it's still. I think that, that that's kind of the mentality that he's uh, that he's uh, uh, digging into digging into there. It's somebody who is just basically like working so hard and so much about uh, uh, passionately about something, and they've kind of lost focus about why they're doing it at all, and if they ever wanted to do it to begin with. You know, they're just they just always have. Which is a really important thing, I think, when when people think about what's the difference between you know, doing something as an amateur and then doing something as a pro is do you lose the love for it, right? Right. Like, so I love, I love acting. My favorite form of performance is stage acting, the theater, like script my life perfectly. I do one or two theater performances a year. And then with film, just get me in some fucking weird, Mia Hansen love, let, I just want to be in your films for the rest of my life, please. Okay. Like, uh, just like get me in some, or, or like Zentropa, just, uh, just get me in their films, you know, like <laughs> your vid- let your me do- video resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give me, just give me that. Like, just one, one, a film, a film credit a year, and something like that, and then a fucking one or two stage performances, and that's perfect for me, right? But I did a commercial last week, right? And there is no, there are no, there's no, there's no passion when I'm tasting a product and then doing like a smile. It's like a little bit, like a little bit, uh-huh. you know. Like if it's a good director. You know, but it's not like when I did True West where I was like, I'm in a community with these people and I'm digging into this script and it's this amazing material and every night on stage, it's just like this fucking outstanding, transcendent artistic experience. It's not the same, right? And and when I talk with the producers who are producing commercial content, it's the same kind of thing. They're not like, oh my God, my dream is to make promotional videos or my dream is to make commercial content they want to do something else but there's that difference you gotta fucking pay the bills and you can lose the passion a little bit when it becomes like a professional pursuit rather than just something that's an amateur that you do it for the love and so i think this film kind of taps into that but to an extreme right like if you're trying to be a professional drummer you maybe do lose a little bit of the love like if you're going to be a professional graphic designer and you're working 
you know, as a freelancer and you're picking up jobs here and there, you're not always going to have a client project that's going to make you like, that's going to light your soul on fire. It's going to be like, okay, I got to do this thing because the client scope has told me we got to do this and here are the deliverables and here are the assets and I got to do that, da, 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 right? And there's corporate oversight, whatever. So I think that this also kind of has something, there's something to say about that in here, that there is a switch when you, when you go pro on something. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm kind of dealing with that right now in my own life. Like I, I love editing. Mm. I'm an editor and I, uh, and yeah, and I am doing this one like passion project essentially that I'm loving, you know, I love every second editing it, but then I also am doing like a freelance for the money thing about something I don't give a fuck about project. And (laughs) I'm editing all the time. All I do every day of my life, every waking (laughs) minute of my life, Austin and Raymond, I spend editing. So it is testing the limits of my passion. <laughs> I'm sitting here going like, I, I, yeah. I love that I get paid to do this, but holy shit, you know? Um, yes. but so I get, I totally get that, you know, but it's, it's not for, I think that's something else. A uh, kind of a lesson from these movies is that especially when it comes to art, it's like, like that life of being a pro at this stuff is not for everybody. You know, like when I was talking about embracing the extremities and stuff, I think that you kind of have to have that weird bone in your body to be like, all right, you know, I'll be fine with with roughing it, you know, making my own shit, making nothing, just because I I have to or I love to do it. You know, it's like, it, yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah, I, I just want to, for people out there, if there's anybody out there, I got to find this guy's um, YouTube channel. He's this brilliant designer that, uh, a creative artistic director that I know, like showed me his page on YouTube. And um, I'll try to find it in a second here because I watched a couple of his videos. He's absolutely brilliant. He's like this young kid. He looks like he's like 20 or something like that. And he makes these insane, he's got like, you know, a million something followers on YouTube. And he makes these insane videos doing all kinds of digital design. And I was chatting with this artistic director and I said, yeah, this is great, you know, um, but like just wait till he gets snatched up by one of the big agencies, right? And he'll become like a creative director for Coca-Cola in Europe or something like that. And the, the guy that I was talking with said, well, maybe he won't, right? Like maybe in this day and age, you don't have to kind of bow down to the corporate because there's so much room for you to kind of do your own thing. And I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, yeah, maybe like... Yeah, there's certainly something to that that is partly true. You can you can like do your thing and follow your passions and just like make your own digital designs or graphic design or make your own music or make your own thing. But there's also a lot of pressure to be like, hey, if we throw a six-figure salary at you, like and we're going to take care of everything and we're going to give you fucking perks and things like that that you're going to be like oh shit like yeah I can struggle kind of to make content and worry about demonetization on YouTube or whatever else it is like maybe this video won't get as many hits and you know or I can get a you know $150,000 a year plus bonuses plus 401k kind of salary as a 26 year old that sounds pretty freaking sweet you know Mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's it's a it's a it's a weird balance to try to find and like do you lose a little bit of, little bit of your soul when you give up the freedom in doing that I I don't know apropos there uh, there's been some uh, discussion in the chat to that effect I want to just call out a few folks here uh, Mark Maurer uh, or Maurer sorry if I mispronounced your name uh, this he says this movie came out while he was in conservatory the notion that musicians scream at each other was so antithetical to his experience he immediately thought there was no truth there he hasn't seen the movie mm-hmm. as a consequence but is looking forward to the discussion thanks for listening mark um we also had uh 
a little discussion between uh, Michael Damiani and Adam Simcox that uh, Michael said, I think the message of the movie is that extreme sacrifice is required for true greatness. Um, I can see that uh, that theme in there. Uh, we've discussed it at length. The decision to make that sacrifice is up to the, the individual. Uh, Adam jumped in and said he would disagree. He thinks it also goes a significant way to critique that idea. And uh, the movie devotes time to uh, noting how perfectionism is destructive and how manipulation can become internalized. And um, while we're critiquing the film, Casey Carrington jumped in the chat a minute ago and said, is anyone going to talk about how only one black character has a name and the other two are named pianist and bassist? <laughs> the film completely ignores the issue of race and jazz history and uh, just dovetailing off of Casey's comment there. That's sort of uh, par for the course with Damien Chazelle's movies about jazz, which he's made, what, three movies and one Netflix series? Um, I haven't seen the Netflix series, so maybe it's it's different in that regard. And uh, Rex Sauls also wanted to ask us, uh, can one be great under a collectivist perspective, or is it a, uh, uh, just exclusively an individual pursuit? What do you guys think about that? Yeah. I mean, collective, I mean, you know, uh, uh, basketball, play, even Michael Jordan's part of a team. He, he needed Scottie Pippen to win. Um, That's right. You know. Certainly much more of a, uh, basketball is definitely a game in which one person can can have an outsized impact on the floor, you know, oh, sure. uh, like the, the career of LeBron James with the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, he had some support with uh, your Kyrie Irvings and Kevin Loves, but... Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of folks maintain that uh, even when they would lose the finals uh, with him on the team, he had kind of carried them on his back for a lot of that. But I don't know, Austin, what do you think? Yeah, I think we live in a world that fetishizes the individual. So for us, greatness is typically tied to the individual. So I've got a friend who's like an art historian, and he talks a lot about the shift um, from like Byzantine art into Renaissance art, where what you get with, amongst many other things, is the central focus of the master craftsman, right? So uh, before with Byzantine art, with icons, you know, it wasn't really about the individual craftsman that was showing off his or usually his at that time, but their skill, um, but rather it was about, you know, the piece of art itself as a sort of conduit that was you know, ushering you upwards into like the truths that this icon was trying to represent. And it's all at this time, of course, religious art that, um, that he's talking about, like particularly Western religious art. Um, and then you get a shift with the Renaissance when in with Renaissance art, you much more get the Leonardo's, you get the Michelangelo's, you get the individual figures, and then you get into the Baroque era. And then it's all about the individual artist. And then you get the mess with Rembrandt. It's all about what, who do we praise? We praise the individuals. And so there's something about this time that also actually happens to correspond with the emergence of, if you're playing bingo, capitalism. And so the emergence of um, the kind of like capitalist socioeconomic um, uh, form of production corresponds with this like focus on individuality and um, a person getting sort of attention for being the master, the, the, the master that has control over their tools or something like that. So there is something interesting. I, I'm not an art historian, so I can only kind of like echo com many conversations that I've had with this person. But there is something interesting in that, that the Western world does just, we praise individuals in their greatness. And there might be an historical kind of lineage that we can chase 
or trace to see like when this took place and under what conditions um, and why I'm, and to what ends. I'm also curious too when we talk about individual success in sports, for example, you could say like tennis or golf because those are those are games played by individual athletes. Like Tiger Woods, great golfer, kind of a crummy person from what I understand. But the question of like. Is he solely responsible for his individual success? I mean, he was coached by his father and uh, a, a coterie of uh, skilled athletes and, and golf professionals. And it, like from the time he was two years old, you know, obviously. Yeah, no, uh, I. Well. And, but but uh, to Austin's example, I mean, how much. Uh, how much credit do you give an individual artist who has studied the masters and who is, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak? Like there is, that is a whole different conversation that we could, we we could do an entire other episode just unpacking, maybe a Patreon episode, like what is, who is the the only individual artist? We had someone uh, shout out in the chat. Mark Maurer uh, uh, also said, Jonathan Colton sold most of his music online independently at the beginning of his career. You know, there are those stories of like, um, who was the, who was the artist who uh, was it Daniel Johnston? who uh, made all those kind of like basement tapes and then they were just sort of found their way and uh, he would, you know he would he would he didn't know he could duplicate his tapes so he would play he, each copy was an individual performance of it that he would play into wow. a tape yeah. so he would just make 10 copies perform it 10 times no oh, I, I, that that is that is a weird question that we could pick at is like what to to what end is any individual responsible for their obviously not solely responsible but how much of the credit goes to them well to me i love this two things oh sorry austin go no no I, I, I was just gonna say like we always talk about like who's the michael jordan of jazz music or the michael jordan of this like yeah, we always michael talk jordan about that. what was he was yeah was he like i i hear this all the time right like so like but michael jordan who he was the he was the what? He was the 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 Muhammad Ali of basketball, and then so and then Muhammad Ali. He was the he was the what? He was the, the Zeus of boxing. Marie, the Zeus of boxing. That's what I'm wondering. Like, how, I was gonna say like the Marie Antoinette of you know, or like the fucking who was like the, the Nero Mozart of, of like, cave how, paintings? Like, what? How far yeah, back yeah, can yeah, we really yeah. go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How far back do you go? <laughs> well, uh, t- two notes. For one, uh, uh, I, I, me personally, you know, it depends on each person. But Tiger Woods, I mean, I put five percent or ten percent maybe on on his trainers or whatever, and all of it on it. I mean, he, it's it's his uh, his natural ability that he honed and perfected and practiced, you know, till he his fucking back broke. Um, that made that happen. And then two, have I been pronouncing Renaissance wrong the, my entire life, Austin? No, Austin. Austin's just very pretentious. <laughs> I'm just a pretentious academic. Is it, is, you, is it Renaissance? Is that really how he's supposed to be? I, I don't know. I, I th- Ryan, I think you're in the clear, man. I was shocked for there for a second. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, okay, so we got to wrap this up. Uh, I I love this movie. I think this is a fantastic movie. I think it brings up a lot of amazing conversation. I think there's so much that we could talk about too. Let's let's continue the chat on Twitter. Um, so if you're out there, you know, make sure you tweet at us smtm underscore pod. And of course, if you've got questions that you want us to address on a future episode, please you can email us or you can call us. You can leave us a voicemail at one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. That's one two one three five three four eight 
Make sure you leave your voicemails uh, nice and snappy. We got a voicemail from someone who claimed to be Ryan's arch nemesis, and then we couldn't hear. Yeah, and then they just like hung up. Basically, it's like from a horror movie. Um, yeah, I need so you to call, call me back. back, please. Call me back. I want to figure out what you uh, wanted to say to me, Ryan's arch nemesis. I, I, I just want to make one more point about wise, uh, Whiplash. Uh, uh, um, the, this movie ends, or is a masterclass on how to end a fucking movie. And I wish more people ended movies like that, or like this. A lot of with times, you know, you get just a... Uh, yeah, literally, it, it, you know, you need to literally go out with a bang. And this one literally does, you know. And uh, when you end, you know, people's time is valuable, okay. And when I, when I see it go yep. to a movie that maybe, yeah, yeah, has a cool, like, climax. And then all of a sudden it kind of just has a, two or three or four or five more end scenes. And then it kind of has a slow <laughs> fade to black. And the credits kind of come up. I'm like, wow, that was an awesome several hours of my, of my life. But, like, it kind of just <laughs> whimpers out where it's like. Even if a movie is just so-so, this is just my advice yeah. for young filmmakers. If a movie, so, if your movie is just so-so, and you end on a bang, literally somebody drumming to the <laughs> boom, you know, and then it just is like you're like, no matter how the rest of your movie is, you kind of leave that people leave the theater going, whoa, that was something, you know, like, like yeah, that's my advice. In your movies like yeah. Whiplash. With a drum solo, the ending is the conceit that the best the best endings are just you stating what the point of the movie is, and I think that this movie does that. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. Okay, so um, not only can you call us with your thoughts, but also you can email us movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. Ryan's Let us know what you think about Whiplash. Me. Arch Nemesis, get in touch with us. I do quickly, I just want to jump into, because we do have an email about Step Brothers. So it's from Matthew who says, uh, Hey, SMTM crew. C.S. Lewis described an adult's fear of being childish as arrested development. That is my touchstone for understanding the man-child. It reminds me that we both laugh at the child for not being embarrassed and the adult for being ashamed. I think the man-child works well for comedies in McKay's brand of social criticism because its dual nature supports and reveals contradictions. Do you imagine this ambiguity helps in other genres? Are Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees more horrific because they are man-children? Interesting. What do you think about the man-child in cinema? Um, the the specific example that they gave at the end there, I think, is the the Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees thing is maybe maybe they're more scary or more horrific because they can't be reasoned with, which I I I don't necessarily think is the same thing, but that I, I understand that's also not the point of the question. Um, Austin, what do you what do you think? Well, there was an article that um I think that we can tweet out maybe um. That Did we get about, permission like, to tweet out the article about whatever? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but it's about uncanniness and um, like the uncanny valley in Step Brothers. And maybe it's a little bit too serious to apply to a film like fucking Step Brothers where they're talk- the main joke through it is whether or not a guy puts his nuts on his stepbrother's drum set. But still, there is something about this uncanniness, about like, these people don't belong in the world. They're a part of the world, but they're not of the world because they don't fit in the world. Why don't they fit in the world? They're adults, but they're like children in adult bodies because of trauma or whatever experiences. So there is something, there's some meat there, I think, to consider about the kind of epidemic of being a man-child. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? 
Because you weren't on the Step Brothers, you weren't here for the Step Brothers chat. I, I would, I'd love to hear your thoughts about Step Brothers. So, in thirty seconds, can you? What, what do you think about being a man child? Well, the, not that you are a man child. That's how it sounded. Hold on, I'm not saying you're a man child. <laughs> well, you're not far off. <laughs> uh, uh, the man. Uh, it's interesting. I never thought about Michael Myers specifically as a man child. Yeah. But yeah. Like there is something that, you know, it's kind of like zombie films are like that, where it's just like. A big dumb thing that's gonna kill you walking towards you that you can't reason with is scary. And whether the yeah, I don't know really have anything to say other than good point. My review of Step Brothers, however, I don't love it as much as the rest of the world, and I feel like I, I'm crazy for that because everyone cracks up. To me, that I just all I see when I watch Step Brothers is the beginning of Judd Apatow rolling a camera for, for five million feet of film and then saying, letting these funny people riff. Improv. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. but it's just, you can just, maybe I'm, I've edited too much too because I can just see them doing take after non sequitur take of these lines. And I'm just, and then and then especially, and I'm just proven right whenever they release like a, and here's the four hour special version where every joke is an alternate and completely different. So it's the same movie, but different. I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, Pick one, and then you know, stop. That's just me. I know. I know people like alternate okay. jokes. So Ryan's arch nemesis, please uh, get yeah, in touch with us. With and let... yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, go ahead and give us a call one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven or email us movies at wisecrack.co. We're gonna get out of here for now. Follow us on Twitter. Check out our other podcasts. Hit us up on Patreon all that good stuff. Where can people find you on the internet, Raymond? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. Feel free to stop by, say hello, and always talk about movies. And Ryan. Ryan Shorts on YouTube uh, and Ryan's Game Show on Twitter. I don't know why I did that, but but come, come hang out with me. On the internet. It's too late to change now. Uh, yeah, uh, you can hit me up. I'm Austin Hayden. I'm on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, and on Insta, AUS underscore HAY. Uh, I also do a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but we are coming back soon. So check that goodness out. The baby brain. <laughs> All right. I love you. We love you, Ryan. Send us out of here. Let's go. <laughs> Um, I actually think we're going to all do a big drum solo here at the end for to go out with a bang. Let's go. Bang on whatever you got. Raymond, hit a bow. You're dragging. You're dragging. Raymond, hit, hit something. 